You are listening to the Bethel Church Sermon Podcast, a ministry of Bethel Church in Yale, South Dakota. If you would take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 10 with me. I asked our, our Sunday school class this morning if they ever listened to the group City of Light. Uh, that is who uh, that song, uh, Save My Soul, comes from. Uh, if you haven't uh, heard of them, if you haven't been listening to them, uh, you should uh, YouTube them or uh, or whatever. They they are addicting. They write songs for the church uh, in their church, and uh, the lyrics are incredible and Uh, I think you'll really enjoy uh, listening to them. Romans chapter 10, we find ourselves in verse 17 this morning. So let's back up and start reading in verse 14. So if you would stand with me as we honor the the reading of Scripture together. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. That it's your word to us, the creator of of the universe, has thought of us to such a degree that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, we pray that, that as we talk about it this morning, that as these words are, are preached, Lord, I pray that you would send your spirit to do a, a marvelous thing this morning. That these words would be implanted deep, that they would come alive. That they would come off the page and it would be as though Christ himself were speaking to us through your word. Lord, we pray that you are glorified this morning. The name of Jesus would be exalted. Lord, we pray your spirit would do this. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There are literally... Thousands of illustrations of how the Bible changes lives, how it impacts churches and ministries and people over the course of time. And the reason for that is really what we're going to get into this morning. But as we start here, I want to set your mind on one such illustration, and that is really has to do with the person of W.A. Criswell. Uh, do you know who he is? He is uh, a contemporary pastor, was a contemporary pastor that you should know. Criswell was 
pastor of First Baptist Church, Dallas, Texas. He was a prolific author, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention for two terms in 1968 through 1970. His presidency in the Southern Baptist Convention actually marked what is known the beginning of the, the conservative takeover of the Southern Baptist Convention. And even though Criswell accomplished a lot, he's most well known for his preaching. He was uh, an expositional preacher. He preached right through Scripture. Uh, like I said, he was the pastor of First Baptist Church Dallas. He started pastoring that church in 1944 and spent the remainder of his years there behind that pulpit. In 1993, he entered uh, what is called a, a semi-retirement, which meant that he taught Sunday school and filled the pulpit on occasion until his death in 2002 at the age of 92. During his time at First Baptist Church Dallas, the church grew from about 7,800 in attendance to 26,000 in attendance on a given weekend, which is an important item that we're going to recognize here in a minute. Billy Graham joined that church in 1953, uh, became a, a close friend of the Criswell family, and remained a member of that church for the next 55 years. The church founded a, a crisis pregnancy center, had a homeless shelter, did services in, in Spanish, had TV, radio ministries. Uh, Criswell had eight honorary doctorate degrees and published over 50 books and was a seminary professor of preaching at George W. Truett Theological Seminary at Baylor University. Just bring this up at the onset, and we just touched the surface of his accomplishments but I bring this up because he would say that all of this was because of the Word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit using the written and preached Word. In 1978, Criswell spoke to the International Council on Biblical Inerrancy. About 350 pastors and leaders were there at that time. And understand this, so... In 1978, Criswell had been at First Baptist Church Dallas for some 35 years at that point. And the title of his message at that event was, What Happens When the Bible is Preached as Literally True? In his message, he talked about what happened to himself, the church, God, when the word is preached and honored. We don't have time to get into the message itself, but I'm sure you can find it. You can go to online to the W.A. Criswell Sermon Library, which is a collection of over 4,000 of his sermons that were uh, audio sermons delivered uh, since 1953 when the recording of them began. So, get this. He preaches this sermon 35 years after coming to First Baptist Dallas and asks the question, what happens when you preach the Bible is literally true. Now to grasp this, we need to know what Criswell did a year after he got to First Baptist Church, Dallas. And that was, he stood up and announced that he was going to preach straight through the Bible, starting with Genesis 1-1 and ending at the end of Revelation. And he reported that the feedback that he got was not good. The people were upset. 
They said you're going to kill the church. You can't do that because nobody is going to come hear somebody preach about Habakkuk, Haggai, and Nahum. People don't know who those biblical books are. They don't know who those characters are. But even in spite of all of that opposition, Criswell did it anyway. And the problem that came about wasn't the demise of the church like many had prophesied. But the church began to grow. People wanted to hear biblical preaching. People were coming to faith under the preaching of of the Word, the whole counsel of God's Word, including the Old Testament books of Haggai, Nahum. I just bring up the story at the onset as one illustration of the power of God's Word to change lives and build churches. And I think this is what Paul is getting at in Romans chapter 10 here. Some take and wonder how verse 17 fits in with this chapter in the whole, and I would suggest that it's a summary of what has gone before it. Now, without getting too technical, part of the issue here is that in the original language, there's no verbs. So literally, it would say, so then, faith by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The translation issue aside... It doesn't, it does sound an awful lot like verse 14. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? In verse 17, the idea of hearing occurs twice. We learn in the verse that faith comes from hearing and hearing or something that is heard through the word of Christ. Now one commentator said that when he when we read this that a simple question must come to our mind at this point and that question is of great importance and the question is this simply hearing what? Faith comes through hearing what? What is heard through the word of Christ? It's a good question, isn't it? How does faith come through hearing what? And what is it that Christ is saying? There's a couple ways to answer that question, a couple answers. The first answer is the gospel. The gospel, that is the most obvious answer, and we know from the first verses of the book of Romans that it is the gospel that is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. That statement in Romans 1.17 is really what Paul spends then the rest of the book unpacking. Salvation comes through hearing the gospel A gospel that Paul is not ashamed of because it is through that gospel that people come to faith in Jesus. Now at this point, some might wonder what exactly the gospel is. For instance, what constitutes sharing the gospel with somebody? What do you have to say to get credit for sharing the gospel? It's common for people to have any conversation with somebody about spiritual things and to count it as sharing the gospel. It's also common for someone to get into a a conversation with somebody else and divulge the fact that they are, in fact, a Jesus follower, that they are a Christian, and they go to church, and they believe in Jesus. And for them, that constitutes sharing the gospel. For some, 
They believe if they take a stand before others, and then, then that would be sharing the gospel with them. I, stood a, I took a stand for what is right. And that person realized that I took a stand, therefore I shared the gospel with them. But we need to understand that when Paul says here that faith comes through hearing, what must be heard in the gospel must bring about faith. Simply taking a stand for what is right does not do that. So what is being heard is the gospel. And the gospel is literally good news. That's what the word means. Specific news, which is the biblical message that salvation from sin comes by the work of Jesus Christ. R.C. Sproul summarized it this way. He said, The gospel is called the good news because it addresses the most serious problem that you have, that I have as a human being. And that problem is simply this. God is holy, and he is just, and I am not. And at the end of my life, I'm going to stand before a just and holy God, and I'll be judged. And I'll be judged either on the basis of my own righteousness or lack of it, or the righteousness of another. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus lived a life of perfect righteousness, of perfect obedience to God, not for his own well-being, but for his people. He has done for me what I could not possibly do myself. But not only has he lived a life of perfect obedience, he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice to satisfy the justice and the righteousness of God. That is the good news. The gospel isn't just talking about spiritual things or admitting that you're a Christian or believe in Jesus. Now, those things are very good things. Don't get me wrong. Getting into spiritual conversations and admitting that you are a Jesus follower is the first step in sharing the gospel. It's this sharing the gospel that Paul has been talking about here in verses 14 and 15. For people to call on Christ, they must believe. And for them to believe, they must hear. And for them to hear, somebody must preach Christ to them. And for somebody to preach Christ to them, they must be sent to them. Everything in this section has to do with sharing the gospel that the world so desperately needs to hear. Why does the world need to hear it? Because one can't come to faith without hearing it. That is the clear and simple logic that we find in these verses. Now we said that faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And that prompted us to ask the question, hearing what? And we said that one way to answer that question was hearing the gospel. But there is a second way, and that is in Christ himself. A lot of people read that second part of the verse as to say that it is a word about Christ or that he is the the content of the message in which we are talking about. And of course, that is true, but it isn't what the text is saying. It doesn't say the word is about Christ, but Christ is actually to be understood as the subject, meaning that it is Jesus that we understand is doing the speaking of the gospel message. 
we could get hung up on Greek here, but there's also some very practical reasons for opting for this interpretation. Let me give you a couple. First, this squares with what we already said about verse 14. We actually talked about this back when we talked about verse 14. Some translations try to help us here with the interpretation, like the NIV or the ESV says, the one of whom they have not heard, but that isn't actually right. It should be the one whom they have not heard. The point is that Jesus speaks through his ambassadors so that when one hears the gospel from them, and they're called on Jesus for salvation. It is because Jesus has spoken to them and called them through the words of the preacher or the one speaking the gospel message to them. I hope that makes sense. When you are obedient and share the gospel with your friend or your loved one, and they respond in faith and repentance, it's because Jesus was speaking to them through your words, through the message of the gospel, he was calling them to faith. Really a, a remarkable thing. So this interpretation squares with what we already said of verse 14. Secondly, if we're to understand the second part of verse 17 is only a word about Christ, as some take this to mean, then the two parts of the verse are redundant. Because this is what the message of the first part means. Faith comes through hearing a word about Christ through a word about Christ. It's absolutely redundant. But that's what the verse would be saying. James Boyce says this way. He says, if hearing Christ is the meaning, then an important truth is added and must be added here. To paraphrase verse 17 then, he does it this way. Faith comes from hearing the gospel preached. And the reason faith comes from hearing the gospel preached is that Jesus himself, the object of the gospel as well as the subject, speaks through the messenger to call the listening one to faith. Isn't that a wonderful picture? Now, let's think about this a little bit because it's very important. I, In fact... This is one of the, the great discoveries that was made in the, the Reformation. Prior to the Reformation, very few people had copies of the Scripture, and they depended on, on others for their getting the, the Scriptures and their interpretations of it. Couple that with the fact that the Scriptures were preached in a language that the people often didn't speak. It made things tremendously difficult for them. The invention of the, the printing press really changed things, and that is because copies of the Scripture were then wildly, wildly available, and people then saw firsthand the power of the Scriptures. Martin Luther, John Calvin, Eurig Zwingli, others made strong connections between the proclamation of the Word of God working with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, one might say, Pastor, I thought you said it was Christ who was speaking. Now, we were talking about the Holy Spirit. Are, are, you, are, you, are you saying that you're using those two things interchangeably here? No. Uh, no, I'm not. But the two are inseparably connected, and it would be wrong to speak of one and not the other. The fact is, Christ speaks through his agent 
presenting the gospel message by the Spirit of God. This is why we pray that God the Father would send His Spirit to open our eyes, see the truth of the gospel. Because we might understand the, the truth of Scripture and base, brace this truth in, in faith. That is because we recognize that it is Christ who speaks through the power of the Holy Spirit. Right here we see all the, the members of the Trinity working together. Preaching is a Trinitarian action. I'm going to make a, a pretty big statement here. And I, and I want you to follow this because I think it is tremendously important and it bears on what we're talking about here. If what we are seeking from God elevates one member of the Trinity over the others or neglects a member of the Trinity at the expense of another, what we have isn't Christian anymore. There is much of what we call Christian that elevates the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit this way. They, they seek signs and, and wonders and words and experiences from the Holy Spirit as if this new revelation or experience that is given trumps what we already have in scriptures. And of course, people probably wouldn't say it that way. But in practice, that's what's happening. In fact, some has, have gone so far as to, to actually say it. Bill Johnson, for instance, is the pastor of Bethel Church in Redding, California. It's a huge church. There's a school of supernatural ministry there. They put out a, a ton of music. In fact, if you if you know of them, you probably know of them through the the music ministry. Uh, we've we've sang some of their songs, but by and large, uh, this is a, a movement that you ought to run from. Bill Johnson says in a YouTube video called "Friendship with God." You can look it up. He says, and I quote. It's difficult to expect the same fruit of the early church when we value a book, Bible, they didn't have more than the Holy Spirit they did have. It's not Father, Son, and Holy Bible, end quote. The fact is the scriptures are the written Word of God. Jesus is the living Word of God. I mean, there's, there's no wonder that Jesus is called the Word. It is in Him that we see the Father. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. You cannot take Jesus out of the equation and have any resemblance of the Gospel. You cannot take the Spirit out of the equation and expect the Gospel to be applied to anyone. The power of the Word comes from the Spirit. We can say it this way. Without the Holy Spirit, the Bible is a dead book. James Boyce says it this way. That is why man without the Spirit cannot understand the Bible. But on the other hand... Without the word as objective, as the objective guide from God claims to a special leading by the Spirit run into excess, error, or mere foolishness. Knowing the importance of both, the reformers preach the word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit and the transformation of Europe and the Western world was the result. End quote. Boyce hits something very important, doesn't he? He says, we need both. What Bill Johnson is doing is taking the objective standard of the scriptures out of the equation. 
And the result is what much comes out of that ministry then is excess, error, and mere foolishness. I would suggest that Bill Johnson's quote doesn't highlight his lack of understanding of Trinitarian theology, but also places him outside of Orthodox Christianity in the realm of cultish sects of Christianity. Anytime somebody would pin the scriptures up against the work of the Holy Spirit and downplay the objective standard of the written word, acting as if they don't need it because, or they have little need for it because they have the Spirit of God, is in essence making themselves the objective standard of what goes on and what goes and what doesn't. And that is cultish. John Calvin commenting on John 16, a text that we'll look at just in a moment here. He says, uh, if you want to turn to John 16, you can. But but Calvin saw uh, some of the same things in in the church in in his day. He says this, and this is quite a a long quote, but bear with me. He says that the papists, right, the, the pope, act a highly ridiculous part. For they define those mysteries which they which the apostles were unable to hear, basically saying that they're talking about things that aren't in the Bible, to be certain, their child fooleries, the most absurd and stupid things that can be imagined. And he's being sarcastic. Was it necessary that the Spirit should come down from heaven and that the apostles might be might learn what ceremony must be used in consecrating cups with their altars and baptizing church bells and blessing the holy water and celebrating mass? What then do fools and children obtain their learning? Who understand all these matters thoroughly? No one. Nothing is more evident that the papists mock God when they pretend that those things came from heaven. If we do not wish to be ungrateful to God, let us rest satisfied with the doctrine of which the writings of the apostles declare them to be the authors, since in it the highest perfection of heavenly wisdom is made known to us, fitted to make the man of God perfect. He's drawing that from 2 Timothy 3.17. Calvin is, is saying, in essence, that the things that were going on in the church back then had their origins somewhere other than the Word of God, since the writers of Scripture were not aware of any of them. Calvin is calling people to an objective standard of Scripture. Not because he elevated the Scriptures above the Spirit, but because he understood rightly that it was the Spirit of God that used the Word of God and pointed them to truth and applied those things to the church. The church and the Spirit didn't work independently. Calvin well was well aware that the man of God would not be made perfect without the Spirit of God using the Scriptures. Let's go to John 16, passage that Calvin was actually commenting on. I want to show you this while we're on this subject. Let's pick up in verse 4. Jesus is speaking. He says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. 
Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I mean, notice what is happening here. Jesus is just taking an, an outlying for us what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is. It's not a, it's not a supernatural force that we can't understand that, that moves where it will. I mean, Jesus says this, this person of the Trinity has this specific ministry. This is what he does. So Jesus tells the disciples that he's leaving. They are sad. There's so much they don't understand yet, and we know this because we read the rest of the story. Jesus said that these things that he says now, he's saying to bring them comfort. He says that it's actually going to be for their advantage that he leaves, and the reason is that the Holy Spirit is going to come. Not on his own, but it's clear Jesus is going to send him. And when the Spirit comes, he's going to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. In other words, the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit is going to be highly redemptive in nature. Highly redemptive. That's what the Spirit does. He points people to Jesus. He will bring salvation. He will take and apply Jesus' life and work to the plight of the people. They will understand their need for salvation. Jesus goes on in verse 12 to say that he still has a lot to tell them, but they cannot bear it now. What does Jesus mean by that? I would suggest that they're not ready to hear anything else that he has to say because they needed to witness what happened next. They needed to to witness Jesus' death and resurrection before all of this makes any sense to them. Jesus then says that when the spirit of truth comes, he's going to guide them into the truth. Yeah, I know you have a lot of questions. I know there's a lot I haven't said. You can't bear it now, but don't worry. The helper's coming. The spirit of God is coming. And when he comes, he's going to guide you into this truth. I'm not leaving you as orphans. That's the idea. And Jesus makes it clear that the Spirit will not speak on his own authority, but what he hears, he will speak. And in doing this, he will glorify Jesus. In verse 14, the Spirit takes what is Jesus' and declares it to them. In verse 15, Jesus takes this very Trinitarian, all that the Father has is Jesus's, and Jesus will then take what is his and declare it to the disciples through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see why I said earlier, that if we are to take and elevate one member of the Trinity or devalue others of the Trinity, it really isn't Christian anymore. 
They all work together. Jesus here is making this abundantly clear. That the ministry of the Holy Spirit doesn't happen apart from Jesus' word. You get that there? The ministry and action of the Holy Spirit doesn't happen apart from his word. In fact, the Spirit glorifies the Son. Jesus said much the same thing before. He said that he glorified the Father as the Father glorifies him. When the Apostle Paul says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, he's saying two things. One, that people place their faith and trust in Jesus when they hear the gospel of Jesus. And secondly, when one places their faith and trust in Jesus, it is because Jesus himself calls them to faith through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Nobody comes to the Father except through Jesus. That is made possible through the Holy Spirit. Very Trinitarian. This is why the author of Hebrews can say in the fourth chapter that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden by hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Question. What is it that makes the Scriptures alive? The Spirit. What word does the Scriptures declare that pierces to the deepest divisions of the person? Christ's words. Of whom then does this word point? To the Father to the one to whom we must give an account. Notice another thing. Not only is Christ the one whose word exposes us before God, but he's also the source of our remedy. This is the point of the book of Hebrews. Our redemption before God, our our remedy for our sin problem isn't found in, in sacrificing animals and it isn't found in allegiance to the law. It isn't found in our moralism. It is only found in Jesus Christ. So again, the reason the Bible is so powerful is not because it is a book with a lot of wisdom from men written long ago. It's not even because it contains the words of Jesus as well as other brilliant people. The reason that the Bible is so powerful is not even because it does not contain errors, which is true. It doesn't. And it's really important that it doesn't. But that isn't the reason of the Bible's power. The reason it is so powerful is because God speaks to his people through the Bible by the Spirit of Christ. And it is because of that that the Word of God is life-giving and life-transforming. You can't separate the Bible from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In fact, you can't separate this book from the Trinity. 
And once we start doing that, we start becoming something other than Christian. This is the objective standard that holds everything together. My friend, if you are here today and you are a believer, know this. You are a believer because you heard the truth. You heard the gospel message from someone. However it looked, words of parents when you were young taking root when you were older, the words of evangelists when you were teens, I mean, however it looked, you were a believer because you heard in some way. Attract. We didn't come to faith in a vacuum. And others will not either. Christians are entrusted with the message of the gospel and we realize that faith comes through hearing, so we then must share it with other people. If you're not a Christian and you're here, please understand that faith comes through hearing. Take advantage of that. Listen to the word. Put yourself under the preaching of God's word. Understand the gospel. Seek to understand it. Ask that God would use it and speak to you through it. Read the Bible. Isn't that what this message says? Read the Bible. If you're not a Christian, you want to become one? Ask God to speak to you through it. If you'd like to visit with somebody about it and have questions, find me after the service, set up a time with me to visit. I'd love to do that. In fact, that would make my day. So let's pray together. Thank you for listening to this sermon resource from BethelMBChurch.org. If you'd like to learn more about Bethel Church or find other resources, please visit our website at BethelMBChurch.org. Bethel Church exists to bring glory to God by promoting the joyful worship of Jesus Christ both here and abroad.